Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's continue in worship and prayer. Living Lord, we thank you for all the ways that you move and speak. We thank you for the times that you surprise us with dreams. We thank you for the ways that you open doors and lead us and call us. We thank you for the ways that you pursue us and stick with us even when you don't have to. We thank you for the ways that you keep your covenants with us, that you claim us as your own, that you call us sons and daughters of the resurrection. And we thank you for the ways that you are here tonight. Such a sweet, gentle, loving presence. And so Lord, as we continue on in worship in the word tonight, I pray that you would give us an attentive heart and mind to you, to you. We love you so much, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I mentioned early on when I was with the students that I have two sons, Caleb and Noah, who are five and six years old, almost seven. And it's just been such a treasure as a mom to watch my boys grow and develop in their faith as they become more and more aware of who God is. And one of the things that's been a treasure and a joy is to watch them pray. Not too long ago, our oldest son, Caleb, as we were lying in bed and doing our nighttime prayers together, he started to pray, dear God, I pray that in the morning when I wake up, that real dinosaurs are back on this earth. And as I sat there and I listened to him pray, I didn't know if I should stop to him and explain to him that, well, that's not really a realistic prayer. And I didn't want to squelch that moment. And I also was tempted to pray, no, that would be terrible, and pray against it. And sure enough, the next morning when he woke up, he came running out of his bedroom and he said, Mom, is a Trinosaurus Rex in our yard? Are dinosaurs back in real life? And I had to gently explain to him, no. And it also wasn't too long ago that my husband and I were having a conversation about a pine tree in our yard that was diseased and dying. And we had to have a conversation about how we were going to get rid of that tree for we learned through a tree expert that it was past reviving. And as we were talking about what we should do and whether or not we should cut it down because we learned that it would be $300 to get it professionally cut down, we thought, no way. My son interjected and he said, why don't you just go lay hands on it and pray for it? Jesus will bring it back to life. And those are really just two examples of the honest, heartfelt, vulnerable, faith-filled prayers of my boys. I could go on with stories. And as I watch my boys grow and develop in their faith, it's hard for me to wonder what happens to us as adults that our prayers become less vulnerable, less honest, less faith-filled and real. 
Whenever I hear my children praying, I melt and I am in awe, awestruck in fact, of their faith-filled prayers. And for many of us at times in the Christian faith, even those of us who are mature and have been walking with the Lord for a long time, we experience those desert moments where prayer seems odd, if you will. As we're talking, we wonder, Does God really hear us? We wonder if it makes any difference at all. And and at times our brains even play tricks on us. We think, well, why pray? Because he already knows what my needs are after all. Doesn't he know the desires of my heart? So what's the purpose of praying anyway? And I would imagine that there are some of us in here, if not most of us, if not maybe even all of us that have prayer baggage. We've prayed for things and we have been left feeling disappointed because the prayer wasn't answered in the way that we had thought. Perhaps it was for something significant, like the healing of a loved one that ended in loss or tragedy. Even for those of us who are prayer warriors, perhaps more than likely have experienced those moments and have some of that prayer baggage I remember my first prayer disappointment, if you will. When I was in eighth grade, I really wanted to make the volleyball team. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and a few days later found out that I did not make the volleyball team. And I wheeled and dealed with God. I told him that I would clean my bedroom every day, that I would listen to my parents and that I would load the dishwasher and I still didn't make the volleyball team. And as life has gone on, even as I have been growing as a young woman in God, young woman of God, there have been bigger, more significant, more heartfelt things that I have prayed for that have ended differently and God has formed me and shaped me in those moments. And let's face it, not to mention disappointments or how odd it seems at times, but we're busy. The Western world, college students and working and even if we just had conversation with someone who was retired and he said he couldn't believe how busy he was as a retired person. We lead extremely busy lives and so sometimes we feel guilted that we're not praying and so it's just another check off the box. It's just another something that we should do. We have bills to pay, deadlines to meet, errands to run, sporting events to attend papers to write, tests to take. And so then, for some of us, when we think about prayer and we hear this preacher hitting their Bible telling us that we need to pray more, it becomes like dieting. Every couple months we think, okay, I'm going to pray more. So we go into our prayer closet or into our bedroom and we get down on our knees and we get quiet and we get prepped and we start to pray. And within minutes... We're thinking about our to-do list. Our brain is already wandering. And I wonder at times if perhaps some of us often see prayer all in the wrong light, that what if we are missing out in the fullness of walking in the Spirit and what it means to pray 
moment by moment. And interestingly, as we have been walking through the Sermon on the Mount and taking a look at these boundaries that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter five, six, and seven of what it looks like to live in this kingdom community that Jesus has established when he declared, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then here in the Sermon on the Mount, he gives us these boundaries, he paints this illustration, he paints this moral portrait, if you will, of what it looks like to be in this kingdom community under the reign and rule of King Jesus. And as he's teaching this in Matthew's gospel, he doesn't say, if you pray, but he says, when you pray. He doesn't say, if you happen to get to it at some point or when you pray just on Sunday mornings, but he says, when you pray, then this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And he goes on, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And so Jesus begins right here in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. He turns and he says, when you pray, this is how you should pray. And he invites us to call God Father, which for some of us, these first few points that we're going to take a look at might be basic points, things that we know, but hopefully a good encouragement for us to press into this relationship that God has to offer us. And so Jesus invites us to address God as Father, which gives us a glimpse in the type of relationship that we are invited to. And that is, we see that prayer is relational, which might seem basic, but I fear that sometimes in the Christian life, we as Christians and we as the people of God, we approach God as if he is Santa Claus. We look at prayer as though if we pray more, and Jesus talks about with this with those who babble like the pagans, we approach it as if, if I pray a certain kind of way, perhaps I could manipulate the hand of God or somehow convince God to get from A to B. And we bring God our lists. But Jesus shows us that in prayer, it is a relational, it is a relational back and forth. I love the way that Pastor Bill Hybels puts it in his book on prayer. He says this, the most fulfilling byproduct of a prayer life is not the satisfaction of checking off a daily to-do. It is not perfect attendance in your prayer closet. He says that doesn't always equal deep fulfillment. But the most fulfilling byproduct is also not receiving miraculous answers to the actual prayers prayed. Those are, though those are wonderful when they occur, he says. What I have discovered along the path of the prayer life, Bill says, is cultivation is the greatest thrill to a prayer life is the qualitative difference it's made in one's relationship with God. The qualitative difference that it has made in one's relationship with God. 
which means in addressing God as Father, not only are we invited into this relationship, but we are invited then into an intimate relationship. It's amazing to think about really, if you will, that the billions of people that have walked this planet, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the creator of this crazy thing called DNA, the creator of the sunsets and the sunrises and the mountains and the oceans that roar, invites us into a very intimate relationship. Yes, God does declare that he is the God of his people. And yet somehow, in this astounding, amazing way, he invites us into something very intimate and personal. He is a God that is, in fact, with us and the space in which we pray. So when we pray, it's not, hey God, I hope that when I cry out to you, you hear me. But it's, hey God, I know you hear me. When we lived in the western suburbs of Chicago not too long ago, in our bathroom, we have this air vent that you can see through into our closet. And our boys, when they were real little, they discovered that they could go into the closet and scream into the air vent to the person who was in the bathroom. And it became an absolutely hilarious, silly game that they loved to engage in for several weeks. And so most mornings when I would be getting ready and they'd be running around the house, I'd be blow drying my hair in front of the mirror. And all of a sudden I would hear, hey mommy, can you hear me? And I'd get down, I'd say, I hear you. And then they would just erupt in laughter and giggling and they just would think it was the greatest thing in the world. And then they'd do it again. <coughs> hey mommy, can you hear me? <coughs> and I would respond back, I hear you. And they would just erupt in laughter. And this would go on most of the morning as I was getting ready and we would just have a hoot of going back and forth and they'd try to lower their voices quieter and quieter and try to speak in, in code to see if I could understand them. And it's a lot of fun speaking with that barrier between us. But I have to tell you that if we always had a barrier between us, it would get old fast. There's nothing quite like looking at my boys in the eye. There's nothing like pulling them into my arms and putting them on my lap. As I look at my youngest son's big brown eyes and my oldest son's big blue eyes, and as we put our noses together and we give each other butterfly kisses and we have conversations about the day, you know, intimate, one-on-one -on -one conversations. And sometimes I think that we think of prayer as though it is that barrier between us and the heavens, between us and God, and we cry out, hey God, can you hear me? Because I'm really going through something right now. And when we get those surprising glimpses that perhaps he did hear us, we're stunned, we're shocked. As if maybe that had been the only time he actually hurt us. But that is not the case, is it, dear ones? 
I think the more that we pray and we begin to approach God in prayers, we discover that it's not, hey God, can you hear me? But we discover a God that invites us into this intimate relationship, that invites us to call him Father, to know him, to walk with him. And then in praying, we aren't just bringing our list and hoping that we get from A to B, but in praying and stepping into that relationship, our heart actually begins to be formed like his heart. Our hearts begin to break for the very things that his hearts are breaking for. Our mind begins to see the world through his perspective and we begin to see life through his perspective because in prayer and in this relationship, we are being formed in his likeness and in his image. Is that not good news? It's a two-way conversation. We aren't engaging Santa Claus. We aren't engaging someone that we can hopefully manipulate through our words. We aren't engaging an angry judge either. But we are engaging a God that delights in our words, that delights in our heartfelt cries to him. A God that isn't reluctant to hear from you, but instead waiting, longing, aching to hear from his people. Which means then that in prayer, we are invited to vulnerability, not formality. One of the things when I was a youth pastor for so long and even now as a senior pastor working with folks is folks are so often afraid to pray out loud. What if I say the wrong thing? What if I sound stupid? What if it doesn't come out right? What if it's not theologically correct? But the reality is this full and free prayer life that God invites us into is one of freedom where he just wants our heart. He doesn't want a theological expose. He wants you. He wants your longings, your dreams, your heart. He wants you to know him personally and to walk with him personally. Psalm 62.8 says, pour out your hearts to him. And when we pour out our hearts to him, we know that we are not being vulnerable and heartfelt and honest before a God that is reluctant to hear from us, but instead a God that is willing to hear from us. In Luke's gospel, chapter 11, verse 13, it says, if then though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God is willing to hear from you. He delights in you willing to respond to you, to provide his presence through the fellowship of the Trinity and the Holy Spirit to you. And so it's not coming for him, before him and just praying for my needs then, but in praying these prayers then, in praying to the Father, we are being formed that our hearts begin to break for the very things that his heart breaks for. And we begin to see the world as he sees it. And then we begin to pray a new kind of prayer, kingdom-aligned prayer. See, I believe that the more we pray, the more our prayer life begins to look differently. No longer are we bringing just our list. Lord, I pray that I would pass my test. 
Lord, I pray that I would get the front row of the parking spots because I'm late for my test and I need that front row to open up. Or Lord, I pray that all of the green lights, all of the lights are green on my way to my meeting because I'm really late. And sometimes we keep our prayers to that. Instead, in, in coming to this God who is a God of the people, but also an intimate God and invites us into this relationship, we then, as we are being formed, begin to pray kingdom-aligned type of prayers. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I love the way New Testament scholar Robert Wall puts it when he says, there's nothing passive about praying for deliverance from our enemies and their salvation. Prayer is a defiant act because it recognizes that the purpose of a sovereign God will win out in the end. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer presumes a position of a confident trust, believing that the God of the Exodus has the power to release the captive to reverse bad news to God. When it seems God's plan has been overtaken by enemies and events, we pray in faith for God's deliverance anyway. The story assures its readers that God hears our prayers and renders the final verdict. The word of God continued to advance and it gained adherence. Kingdom-aligned prayers. Praying for thy kingdom come is a longing, at times a lamenting, an aching, and an hoping for that inbreaking power of, kingdom, of the kingdom of God that we live in this already but not yet space that scholars like to talk about where we celebrate the already, that the good news of King Jesus is here and that the new people of God has been, been created and that because of the Holy Spirit we can live in the freedom of salvation and holiness but we also know and recognize that we live in this not yet space, that the world is deeply broken, that the world has deeply gone awry. And so as we live in that not yet space, we pray for that fullness of the kingdom of God to begin to break in and that where there's injustice, there would be justice. Where there is brokenness, there would be healing. And where there is disunity, there would be unity for the inbreaking power of the kingdom of God. And sometimes, sometimes, maybe not in this context, but sometimes I wonder if the church's prayer life is often more concerned with what we will eat, what we will wear, financial and material goals, to get raises, and of course, more difficult things too. And I just sometimes wonder if we limit our prayer life to these things only, if we are missing out. And I sometimes just wonder for a moment if we have forgotten how to pray as the early church prayed. I'm reminded of Acts chapter 12 and the bold prayers of the apostles and the early church. In Acts chapter 12, we see this astounding story of Peter in prison, full of chains, surrounded by guards. And it's this crazy story in Acts chapter 12 as he is in prison, full of chains, surrounded by guards. It tells us that the church prayed earnestly. The church prayed earnestly. 
And as they are gathering together in prayer there in Acts chapter 12, these, there's this incredible moment where Peter's chains are released and this angel of the Lord appears to Peter and he walks him past all of these prison guards and he walks out to the gate. And there in the middle of the night as he awakens and realizes that he has been released from these chains, he runs to the house where the early church is and it says that he arrives to the house where the early church was praying. And he begins to pound on the door and there's this almost hilarious scene where the servant girl by the name of, of Rhoda opens the door and she doesn't believe that it's him and she runs back and the early church was in shock. And I often wonder, the text doesn't tell us what exactly the early church was praying for. But I highly doubt that the early church was praying, dear Lord, I pray that while Peter is in prison, he gets hot soup. And I pray that while he's in prison, he doesn't get cold at night. And I pray that while he's in prison, the guards are nice to him. And I pray that while he's in prison, he receives a, a warm blanket and, and give him peace. Perhaps they prayed those things, but I doubt that was the only thing that they prayed for. I imagine as the early church was gathered together praying for Peter, that they were praying that the mission of God in this world would continue to prevail. And if that would mean for Peter to be released, that it would happen. I have a feeling that they were praying for a big, holy, crazy, audacious prayer for a miracle, in fact, that Peter would be released from prison and that the mission of God in this world, that the early church that was in its infant stage would continue to thrive and gain momentum and power in this world. You see, I wonder if at times we as the early church, or as we as the church, are afraid to pray these bold prayers. For fear, if we pray these bold prayers, what if we'll be embarrassed for praying them and then it's not answered? Praying for the supernatural in breaking power of the kingdom of God to come into our world, our nation, and our community. You see, a bold prayer refuses to believe that the impossible will remain impossible. Bold prayers come from a depth in knowing intimately and personally that the one and true mountain mover, through him, all things are possible. Dear ones, what is your prayer life like? What is your prayer life like? What if, what if God wants the church to be on their knees desperately, praying for kingdom-aligned prayers that the mission of God would continue to prevail in big and profound ways here in Quincy? That we as a church, as the people of God, would be obsessed with these prayers, that we would pray for chains to be broken, for the brokenhearted to be liberated, for the chains of this world to be broken, the chains of darkness, the chains of sin, oppression, distraction, coercion, and manipulation. What if God wants us too to be praying kingdom-aligned prayers? 
that through here, the church, through the people of God, as they join Christ on mission in their neighborhoods, that they would see knees bowed, tongues confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that same momentum that we see in the early church, that we would see even here in New England, that we wouldn't throw down our towels and say, you know what, the church in America is in decline, we live in this post-Christian context, we're losing millennials, so why bother, let's just ride it out until church doors close. But what if the church in New England said no? the gates of hell shall not prevail. That we, together in the power of the Holy Spirit, are going to lean in and we are going to pray for thy kingdom come, for thy will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, that the bride of Christ would rise up and boldly proclaim the good news of King Jesus and that truly knees would bow and tongues would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that the oppressed and the marginalized would be liberated and that the church would be a witness to the world of the good news of Jesus. Jim Collins, an author of many great business books, has something that he calls a BHAG A BHAG stands for Big, Hairy, Audacious Goal, which sounds ridiculous. But a BHAG is a strategic business statement that is created for a company to rally around that is just so big, that is so hairy, that is just so audacious that everyone on the outside of the organization would say, you're crazy, you can't do that. It would be like, a burger company saying, we're gonna sell 88 billion burgers by 2017. 50 years ago, burger makers around the world would say, you're crazy, that's big, that's hairy, that's audacious, that's ridiculous. It would be like a coffee company saying, we are going to have a donut shop and, co- donut shop and coffee on every corner in New England. I don't know who that would be. Others would say, you're crazy, that's big, that's hairy, that's audacious. That would be like a church in a community where high school students are being taken over by heroin and a church in a community rallying around and then praying a big, hairy, audacious prayer, praying that the inbreaking power of the kingdom of God would break in and that heroin would no longer take the lives of young ones in their community. It would be praying for where there's injustice, for the justice of God to prevail. Praying something so big, hairy, and audacious that others say, no way. But the people of God who knows the one and true mountain mover says, yes way. Praying for the 80% of folks in New England that are unchurched, that the mission of God which is infiltrate and saturate the neighborhoods and that the spirit of the living God would move through the church here, that Christians would begin to lay down their lives for the sake of the other, lay down their lives for the sake of their neighbor and that this 80% would move to 60% and then to 40%. Because, dear ones, this prayer life that we are invited into is not Hey, God, can you hear me? But it's God. 
I know that you delight in your mission. I know that you delight in your people and I know that you hear me. So I pray that you would begin to form my heart, form my mind, and even form my prayers. And that we as a community would begin to pray these big, hairy, audacious prayers. That is thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, dear ones, may I ask you again, what is your prayer life like? Perhaps tonight you want to take a moment just in quietness to pray. Commit or recommit to being formed and shaped in prayer. Perhaps tonight you want to write down a big, hairy, audacious prayer. It's those gentle tugs that you feel on your heart now and then, those things that break your heart. And you want to begin to pray for that daily. Maybe it's even a neighborhood. And you are going to begin to circle your neighborhood in prayer every single day. Pray those prayers. Pray those big prayers. Pray those bold prayers. Let us pray. Living Lord, we pause for a moment in your presence. To reflect, to commit, to listen, to cry out. I invite you to take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. And as you breathe in, imagine for a moment breathing in the praises of God as you breathe in Declare who God is. And as you exhale, perhaps you want to exhale your request. And so as you listen to your breathing for a moment, when you breathe in, perhaps you want to say, 
God of love. And as you breathe out, you want to say, shape me or form me. As you breathe in, declare who God is. And as you exhale, declare your request. And know and trust that he is here among us in this space, delighting in your words and your vulnerability and your heart and your request. God of justice, set your captives free. God of healing, bring reconciliation. You see, as you breathe in, declare who God is as you breathe out, declare your request. God of power, embolden your church. Lord, we thank you for the sacred spaces that you give us. And we thank you for the wonder of the story of God, is that you are a God that over and over and over again gives us yourself. We thank you that you are here.
And that, my friends, are words that he delights in. Because he delights in you. Amen. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, may I send you then in this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the most majestic and profound name of the King of Kings, of God the Father who keeps his promises with us and claims us as his own of God the Son who hung upon a cross over 2,000 years ago and embraced a darkness that we will never comprehend. And of God the Spirit who emboldens us, who comforts us and empowers us to join him on mission in this world. And all of God's amazing people said, Amen. Amen. I don't think we had a closing song. Bless you. I will see you Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. Right? Those of you that come to this church. Which, by the way, 8 a.m. will be 5 a.m. for California time. I am suffering for Jesus. (laughs) 